The Home Secretary, Michael Howard, has said he will look closely at a report which says there is a link between violent videos and crime. But he said it would be an extreme step to ban the videos simply on the grounds that they were unsuitable for youngsters. More than 200 MPs say he should. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange it has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar, the group of my colleagues. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Eric Bedford lives for the movies. Sometimes he kills with him too. Warriors! Come out to play! And probably the most important thing, don't ever feed him after midnight. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Antonio Palacios. I'm your host and this is episode 37. And the name of this episode is called Doing the Video Nasty. Now before we get into it, let's talk about censorship. As long as there's been a human desire to create and share thoughts and ideas through mediums of art, the written word, pictures, and most recently recorded music and cinema there has also been a contrarian desire to censor it. Whether it's by a government agency or religious faction, the goal is always the same. Control. Control through influence and shame. And these two factions have always feared what the general public will do if they are allowed too much freedom of thought and too much freedom of choice. Now we could banter back and forth about political ideologies until the book-banning cows come home. But there's one thing that can be said about forced censorship. It's great for sales. Not only that, it's no secret that by calling something taboo or labeling it harmful to the general public only increases the desire for free thinkers to seek it out, giving it roots to grow into something larger, something more than an idea. Now we've seen many a time in this country's history where ideological groups controlled the access of information or exposure to harmful materials in the forms of the Hayes Code, which was a production code instilled in the film industry in the first half of the 20th century, to the MPAA Ratings Board. Hell, we even spent more than a decade under the prohibition of alcohol. And as technology continues to evolve at breakneck speeds, there is always going to be a group of people looking to monitor and censor the flow of information. That's not to say, though, that all censorship is bad, as there are much-needed rules and regulations in place that protect people, especially children, from being exploited or harmed. But we're not here to talk about that today. Instead, we are focusing today's episode across the pond to the UK of the 1980s, to the National Viewers and Listeners Association, or the NVALA and the lists that they made of so-called harmful materials during the advent of the home video market. But most of us know of this list as the Video Nasties. Now, since 1959, the British Board of Film had final say on the release of films and music to the public based on their content. Films that contained obscenity, sexuality, or political messages that were deemed harmful, or contrary to the current ideologies, they were either banned or specially rated to be released in a smaller capacity. 
However, in the 1980s, as home video began to become more and more prominent, a loophole in the film board's guidelines was found. There were no addendums to how video cassettes could be rated or regulated by the government. Therefore, a sea of slasher films, erotic films, or films of dramatic intensity flooded the market, forcing the government's hand to intervene. So in 1984, the Video Recordings Act was written, forcing all videos to be approved by the BBFC before they were released, and a list of 72 films, the so-called Video Nasties, was formed. Over the next 20 years, many of these films were considered contraband, and being caught selling, buying, or owning any of these films could result in prosecution. It is hard to believe that the act wasn't fully repealed until 2010, but throughout the years, many films on the list appealed their banned status and won. But there is no doubt that because these films were banned, it only helped cement their cult status as well as their place in history. Now to help me uncover and celebrate some of these films on the infamous Video Nasties list is Dan of the Casting Views podcast. Being from the UK, he has first-hand knowledge and is ready to cast his views on the topic. So without further ado, here is Dan from Casting Views. Hello and welcome to the show. I have a very special guest today, one of my favorite indie podcasters out there who has one of the shows that I look forward to listening to every week. I've got Dan from the Casting Views podcast all the way across the world in the UK. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. And, you know, thank you for that introduction. But, yeah, I'm really excited to be on your show. It's definitely, you know, your your, sh- your show is a must, must listen each week. I really appreciate that. How I found your show is interesting. It was completely accidental. When I saw the name Casting Views, I assumed that it was a movie podcast about casting actors, maybe having like second views <laughs> or second ideas about who should have been casted in what roles. And then when I actually listened to your first episode, the first episode I listened to was about cryptocurrencies. I was like, oh, no, this is a topical podcast. And these guys are really entertaining. I don't care that it's about not casting actors. So, yeah, it was just one of those happenstance discoveries. And you really have one of my favorite podcasts out there. And we're like in this little collective of indie podcasters that we collaborate with each other and talk with each other. So I just feel super fortunate to be like in that same group with you and being able to finally do an episode like this. Yeah, no, and, and, you know, you mentioned that collective. It's been really amazing to be part of that, really supportive, and, it, and it's helped a lot. Um, you know, and, and it's funny, just to go back to you say, you say about the name, right? That was probably the most frustrating thing that we, we decided when we came up with. So so I'll say we, it's um, uh, it's myself and my nephew, Lou, who um, unfortunately broke his elbow last night, which is why he couldn't make it today. So uh, get well soon, Lou. Um, but, yeah, we, 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 we sat in his kitchen for about an hour, just could not come up with a name and then I was sitting there at home one night and I was thinking we've podcast we'll have views sod it that's it casting views and that, and that was it and the name was born well it works it's great and it got me listening <laughs> and um I didn't really listen to a lot of like topical podcasts I really kind of was like a one-trick pony when it came to I just want to listen to movie podcasts and maybe occasionally some kind of like hardcore history or something educational but i can honestly say i think i've learned more from your guys's podcast 
than I have any of those other ones because they're entertaining and you tackle different topics each week. And they're the kind of topics that I would like to talk about with people, but I don't have any people that are interested in those discussions. Most of my friends want to talk about sports. I'm not a sports guy, <laughs> you know, I'm a movie yeah, guy. Yeah, so, yeah. so yeah, I feel like sometimes I'm in those conversations with you. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh no, thank you. No, we'll we'll get you on one of our shows then. We'll, I think for suitably a devious uh, topic for you to come on for. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, we are here today to talk about censorship in a in a sense. You know, we live in a really interesting time where we have all the information in the world in our fingertips. We've got a cell phone. We got a computer. We've got streaming TV, we've got so much access to information and to media, but you and I come from an age where we didn't have that in the 80s, and it was a time of physical media, music yeah, on yeah. LPs, CDs, movies on video cassette, and it was still a time where if you had cable television or like premium cable, you were either considered bougie yeah, yeah. You know, or just more fortunate than others. Now, I was fortunate to have like some premium cable because my parents found that to be a little bit more um, financially viable than a babysitter, you know? Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, like yeah, a babysitter yeah. is going to be 10 bucks an hour. How about 20 bucks a month for HBO and we'll leave them at home? You know, <laughs> it was the 80s. We did that. And that's kind of where a lot of my movie knowledge came from and my movie experiences. But um, I had good parents that kind of taught me early of like what I should be watching and what I shouldn't be. But of course, as soon as I hit like those teenage years, I wanted yeah. to see all the stuff I wasn't allowed to see. Yeah, yeah. And in your neck of the world, you had a little bit more challenges to face when it came <laughs> to physical media. So how about you kind of like explain that to our listeners? Well well, do you know what? And, and you know, I'm really glad you kind of approached me for this subject because the, the one thing I didn't realise at the time, and it's, it's, it's kind of that thing you, you, you put back in the midst of time, I didn't realise that this term, and video nasties, was specific to, to the UK. I, I had assumed it was something that was also, you know, across the pond in, 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 in the States as well. But, but, yeah, we had a real clampdown on... Yeah, the videotapes for for these horror films. Some now that are kind of considered classics, right? And well, right. And, and you know, and who am I talking to? The the cult over classic here, but but it's amazing. And 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 kind of something I want to touch on that you said is if if people back then could see now where you've got everything now, the the kids now they're probably watching things that they shouldn't be on the on their phone, you know, on on their laptops, tablets anything and back then it was even harder to kind of see these things without your parents or family knowing but yet there was still this really strict enforcement by you know that well there was a couple of campaigners the government and you know the the, the, the british film uh, classification to, mm -hmm. to ban these films that they called video nasties and and the press went you know i remember the press went crazy even up to kind of the early to mid 90s they were still being vilified in, in in the british media and you know around the same time here in the states you know it, it's always kind of been like a conservative movement to have like the censorship of whether it's music or television 
in the states we have the FCC and the MPAA, which is the Motion Picture Association of America. And the way they kind of got around that after like the production code days of the 1930s, 40s, and 50s was they came up with the rating system. You know, general audiences is G, and then there was mm. PG, parental guidance, and then it was R, and then it was X. And then like in the 80s, they kind of filtered that into PG-13 because films like Red Dawn and Gremlins were just a little bit too violent to be considered PG, but not hard enough to be considered an R. And then X rating here was just kind of synonymous with pornography. So to be like maybe an art house film that had a stronger content, whether it was violence or sex or language, they came up with NC-17. And over there, you've got it like by age, right? You've got like yes. 13, 15, 18. Yeah, I think it started off really simple. And I think you had U for Universal. So that was your family, the, the kids. And then we had PG, which was parental guidance. But then it was, yeah, I think initially it was just 15 and 18. Um, and then there was a, a, a few more had get, get introduced. So I think you had a, a 12 or a 13 at some point. But yeah, it, it, it was by age rating. So everyone, yeah, you kind of wanted to see the 18 movies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And so how it seems, at least in the 80s, is your version of the MPAA, it was a British board of film. Yeah, yeah. So they're the ones that kind of like put these rating systems and kind of monitor who's actually coming into the theater to see these. But with the advent of technology, you've got video cassettes there's just like this loophole that they don't have claim over the physical media. So now you've kind of got these conservative groups coming together to say, how are we going to monitor and distribute sensibly and conservatively these video nasties, these, these hard films, whether they're horror films or gore films or erotic films. And it would make more sense to me that like the erotic and like sexually explicit films would be the first on their list. But for some reason they really went after slasher horror films. Is there something I'm missing in that from my perspective? Well, I think they did have something in for, um, for, for pornography or, or, or erotic films. I think that was, they did. And, and I was kind of just checking a couple of things we had, I think in the, in this country we had something called the obscene, publications act but that was from 1959 right so that was probably that would have well that would have had to have been for literature literature Um, uh, maybe film reels or something possibly well we've seen what the victorians used to get up to right Right. (laughs) (laughs) and and i think it got amended in the 70s but it's like you said as as with anything even modern technology you know we see it with streaming yeah the video recorder gets introduced and it just wasn't regulated so that was where, yeah, you could then distribute anything and everything, which is why then I think the horror films got slammed down on because all of a sudden it's like, hold on, we've we've done our best to restrict this kind of content coming in, but now you can just sell it in a video store mm-hmm. and everyone's got access to it, and and I think that's why I think that's why people jumped on it, and and you know I mentioned after there's a particular campaigner, but I think the government at the time was was a conservative government, and I think it was like right, this could be, you know, like the 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 
the the silver bullet we've got to to kind of explain why there's potentially some crime or some you know some some revolt in in, in people it's because of these films i just rented two tapes here in the center of dublin for as little as a pound a night this one is the controversial evil dead and this one perhaps more horrific is a film called the entity in a coffin shaped box it's about repeated rape by a brutal force tapes like these are available in hundreds of outlets all over the country Pornographic and pirated tapes account for up to 15 million pounds of the annual turnover of the video industry every single year. The minister who was speaking here at the Department of Justice also said he believed these videos had a direct bearing on some of the more violent crimes that had been committed, especially crimes against women. It's interesting to me because over here in the States, I've always just felt that like obscenity has been like the number one trigger for the conservative groups. We saw it back in the 80s when like Two Life Crew and all these different rap stars started having like these really kind of vulgar songs. They really went after those and they didn't allow like even like mild obscenity on TV. Like you couldn't say penis. We have like George Carlin had this famous uh, sketch about the seven deadly words that you weren't allowed to say on, on TV. Yet there's always been a little bit of leeway when it came to violence and sexuality. And it kind of seems like it's the opposite over in the UK. Cause I remember hearing like the Pythons and Benny Hill and stuff like that saying some really crazy obscene things. Yet when it came to like the violence and the sexuality, there was a little bit more of a, 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 a bottleneck in that, you know, of course Benny Hill had the jiggle girls running around and stuff like that. But in a way yeah. I kind of took that as like a way of kind of mocking the conservative groups and the censorship boards. Yeah, it was more kind of like a risque uh, and schoolboy uh, sort of sexiness, for let, let's say. But but it is funny. I but I the impression I got, and I know kind of if we'll be moving on in later years when I'm talking about this potentially in the nineties. We the impression I think we had over here was that in the states, you could put all the violence you want on TV. But if there was nudity of any sort, that felt that that was uh, restrictive. So it's funny the kind of the, the, the different views we have there. It is. Um, Did you guys have like Cinemax or cable TV or things like that in, in the UK around the 80s, early 90s? Really, we didn't get kind of cable channels or satellite channels till I think it was the late 80s. It, it, I don't think it really took off till kind of like the, the early to mid 90s. Mm-hmm. Um I remember, I think, kind of like you said, we, I remember we were quite fortunate, my parents, that my dad got us a Sky satellite at the time. And I'm pretty certain it was 88 because I remember seeing the first episode of The Simpsons and that was like, right. it was a big American show that was coming over. <laughs> so, and then, yeah, once you kind of got the satellite, it kind of then opened the, you know, avenue to certain channels that we never saw on TV. I mean, in, in the UK, you've got to remember up until that point, we only had four terrestrial tv yeah, channels you know right. so and and that tv programming is going to be well for want of a better term kind of normal fairly vanilla yeah. until you get to 10 p.m at night or 11 p.m at night um, and even then you weren't going to get anything absolutely shocking so right so to get satellite tv and then eventually cable it was like it was kind of jaw-dropping yeah you know? yeah so like it's it's really funny because i feel that most of the films that we're going to talk about on this video nasties list in the UK, these films were like playing on cable here in the States. Mm. Like as we go down the list, a lot of the ones that I saw for the first time as a kid, I saw on TV. We didn't get them at the video store. Uh, 
<laughs> now, there are some obscure ones that um, I had an audio blog episode early in, in my podcasting days where I talked about um, bootlegging, video bootlegging when I was a teenager. Mm. And there was a magazine out here called Video Hound. And it would talk about the video nasties list and how hard it was to find some of these. And so what you would do is you would go into like the classified section of this magazine and you would see, oh, I've got a Betamax copy of Cannibal Holocaust and it's 50 bucks and it comes from the UK. And sometimes we would take a chance and buy it because we couldn't get it. Amazon didn't exist yet. eBay didn't exist yet. And, you know, it was a copy that had been copied 10 times already and we proceeded to copy it 10 times more but i feel like that's how a lot of these these obscure video nasty films got around is you had to know a guy absolutely absolutely it was either you had to know a guy or you had to have that older relative who was kind of not you know sort of cool enough to be close to your age to say yeah yeah we'll, we'll, we'll let dan watch this as well um i you know i remember for a start i went to a cousin's house once and he goes oh watch this and he he's, or he goes have a look at this puts a tape in and i didn't know what this film was at the time but up comes the words the exorcist you know <laughs> and i'm sitting there watching it and it's like my cousin doing that and and one of the films on the list will come to again it was at a cousin's house um outside of that it was yeah a guy at school who, whose uncle probably owned a shop where he, they had videos and they would bootleg the the, the videos or, or or yeah as you said someone else who's got a cousin or a relative who's got this tape and you'd get the VHS and it would obviously wouldn't be the, the, the legit tape. So it would just have a label on it. Yeah. And it, sometimes it might not even have the real name because you don't want to cause suspicion if somebody finds it. Exactly. Tape. <laughs> because let's talk really fast. There were legal ramifications to owning or selling some of these films. Mm. Did you know anyone personally that ever had to deal with like the legal ramifications of owning one of these prosecuted films on these lists? No, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't. I mean, I, I'm not sure if you know if they would mainly target sort of people that were maybe as a business yeah. copying them and, and sending them out. But no, kind of not where I live. No, it, it was just the the odd person, yeah, passing them around school. <laughs> I mean, like it sounds that. more like a scare tactic than anything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and it probably was, and it probably did put a lot of people off because, again, at the time, you know, it did feel. It did feel illicit, and I think that's what kids want to do, right? They want to do something that they know is is wrong that yeah. they shouldn't be doing, but that makes you want to do it more. Exactly, and it, it's we always laugh about it here in the states, where it's like they make it very hard to buy alcohol as a minor here in the states, yeah. but you yeah. can buy prescription pills and <laughs> marijuana and hard drugs extremely easily. Yeah, alcohol is yeah. the one they go after. You know, you got to be twenty one here. And in some states, you can't buy it on Sundays. Nowadays, with cell phones and how open marijuana is throughout the states, it's a phone call or a text message away. Yet they still yeah, push the yeah. alcohol narrative. I still don't understand the logic behind a lot of these these rules. It's just how, like we were saying earlier, things just don't catch up. Rules and laws don't catch up. I mean, you know, as we said, back in the day, you'd likely to have, as you got to probably, yeah, yeah, you know, your mid-teens, you'd, you'd be lucky enough to get a TV in the room, but you wouldn't have a VHS player. No. You wouldn't have a, a tape recorder. So to kind of get your hands on these these tapes, and then you'd have to find someone whose house is going to be empty or their parents <laughs> are out. But, but, they, the, but then they put these rules in place for something that was already hard enough. But now where, as we were saying, everything is in your pocket. Yeah. 
And it just feels like, as you said, legislation. It doesn't feel like there's any uproar kind of trying to clamp down on what can or can't be seen. But like I said, these older things in place, like, like these restrictions on drinking, it, yeah, it doesn't make sense. So let's go through some of the lists. Um, it's an alphabetical order. I'm going to just kind of call out a few that I've seen that I think are just so ridiculous that they're on here. So there is a film by Mario Bava called Bay of Blood, and it is campy. It's, it's, it's a classic but it's campy, it's violent, but it's harmless. This film was refused to be released in cinemas in 1972 and was only finally released in the UK in 1994 after they cut 43 seconds of violence out of it. And it didn't get a fully uncut release in the UK until 2010. I saw this film when I was like 15 here in the States. (laughs) And you could show this to like a 12-year-old and they would think it's tame. Yeah, and do you know what's funny about that is 43 seconds. I mean, is it really going to change? <laughs> is, it, it, what, what could have been? I want to know now what were in those 43 seconds because that's insane. If you're talking about, I thought you were going to say minutes at first. You know? No, I mean, like, it, it makes me think, is there really a guy whose job is to sit in a little projection room and count how many seconds of blood or or stabbing there is? And he's like, no, it's 12 seconds too long. <laughs> Forgive me for my accent. (laughs) No, no, let's keep it going. (laughs) But yeah, it's like, that's the thing is like, who is deciding what is going and what is staying? Especially in some of these films. Um, And and sorry, sorry on that. It's funny you say that because there were reports at the time. One one of the things I remember, and I, I kind of had to check up on that. Even this, before this list was in place, it was down to the local police force in a town to decide what they thought was or wasn't um allowed so you you know the town in london maybe the police are are ripping title a off the shelf but in the next town over in liverpool or or up in liverpool they're they're ignoring that one and pulling off completely different because that's what the the head of that police force thought was not fit for public so it's as you say is who's making a decision and that's where things like censorship can become dangerous 100% agreed. Now, another film that's on this list I find interesting is a film called The Burning from 1981. It predates Friday the 13th just by like weeks. And they share very similar stories. They both take place in summer camps. They both have a disfigured madman. And it was not originally passed without cuts in the cinema there. But then it was released in 1992 with 19 seconds cut. I mean, 1992, this is a year after Silence of the Lambs, and they're barely releasing this film in the UK with 19 seconds cut. And I can tell you right now, that film is far less violent than Friday the 13th. So yeah, I, I, that's that one's crazy to me. Now, the next one makes a little bit more sense. Um, Cannibal Apocalypse and Cannibal Holocaust. Now, those ones... I get it. Those ones actually had issues in their native land in Italy and here in the States where like the filmmakers were actually brought to court to prove mm. that they actually didn't kill somebody in the process because <laughs> everyone thought it was a snuff film and they actually had to bring the actors into the courtroom <laughs> to prove that, it's no, amazing. we didn't it's kill amazing. these people. They're right here. It was all makeup and effects. That one makes a little bit more sense. But again, doesn't get a release in the UK until 2005. 2005. I mean, that that just feels like yesterday, you know. <laughs> is that and and I think that's the shocking thing when I was looking through this list again. Is yeah, we weren't we weren't talking about oh, just a few years later they were allowed. This is this is in really recent history. 
like within the last 15 years some of these yeah yeah and like you said there's probably been worse films released in the cinema yes since, since then you know so i guess maybe it's like that accessibility of of these materials to children and teenagers where they think little Johnny's going to go watch the driller killer and faces of death in his room and then go outside and like reenact those. I mean, we've all heard stories, but like those are more like lore and urban legend than they are like factual. What about some films that you've seen? Like what were some of the ones that jumped out to you when you were going through this list? I mean, the, the, the ones I hadn't seen them, but the ones you've just mentioned, like Cannibal Holocaust, stand out in terms of yeah, people people talking about them. Um, the ones I saw as, as as a kid, the ones I remember seeing was the um, the Evil Dead. Yes, and that was one everybody wanted to see. And 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 you know what? I just I rewatched it again yesterday, actually, just to kind of remind myself. And now you can look at it and say. Yeah, I mean, even back then, did these effects really fool anyone, you know? But I think what it is with that film and with some of the others, I've got a sneaky suspicion that it was more the occult, that it was dealing with the occult. And I think, I wonder how many of these films have got that as a theme, because I think it was about brainwashing children. And I mean, I... I saw one of the the headlines in the paper. They were they were saying that this was even brainwashing your pets if they saw them. I mean, this is the mentality of the of the media at the time. Uh, I'm personally satisfied, and as are all those who are advising me that the, these particular type of video nasties are certainly very degrading to women. I also believe very firmly that they must have some effect on a certain small section of our community. And I do believe very definitely, and I'm advised very strongly in this as well, that in some instances uh, they may, what's seen in these video nasty type films may be accepted by a small minority as normal standards. And I think anything kind of around the occult was, was seen as dangerous. That's a really excellent point. And that was one of the things I was going to ask you because there are a lot of films that are based on like demonic possession or the occult or witchcraft on here because there are like war films. Like what is the difference? What is the visceral difference of seeing someone like getting blown up like in Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, yeah. Versus someone getting like their arm chopped off or disemboweled by a serial slasher. Like to me, I think the visceral experience is the same. If anything this might be a hot take i would think there's probably more of an emotional response and investment when you're watching something like saving private ryan because you know it really happened that way yeah, yeah. where i think that at least 95 percent of the movie watching public can watch the driller killer and know that this is just a movie yeah and and that was one i saw as well the driller killer and if you look at it now it's not actually that bad a film I, I think, again, it's just potentially... I, I do wonder if a lot of these are based on wh- whether people in power even saw them because I can imagine this was this was played out as, yeah, there's a guy goes around killing homeless people by drill, you know, putting a drill into them. And it's like, oh, my God, we, we can't have that because that could cause copycat killers. But if you look at it now, it was more of a... It does feel more of a psychological film more than more than you know like it being a really nasty film uh, yeah to watch um and 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 again i think i agree with you absolutely that a lot of these you can put a kind of fantastical element to it and you can say yeah this is obviously clearly something to be seen as i'll I'll, I'll use the word entertainment because now we do see it as entertainment but it's like you can separate this from uh, fact from fiction um whereas yeah a lot of i would say 
horror for, or, or or violent films that came out after were based on real events or real life. A hundred percent. And here's an interesting thing too, because I noticed this on this list, and there was a filmmaker out here in the states back in like the '60s and the '70s. His name was Al Adamson. Fascinating story about him. He was just like a schlockmeister, kind of like the Ed Wood of his day. Mm-hmm. Made a lot of low budget horror films and things like that, and he was known for re-editing the films over and over again and releasing them under a different title. Right, yeah. And people who would like watch his films would go like, oh, there's a new Al Adamson movie and they go in the theater and be like, oh wait, I just saw this. It's just like backwards now. He did that (laughs) all the time. And one of the ways that he would get around the censors is he would release a film theatrically under a very generic title. But a lot of his handbills and posters and promotional things would be under a more explicit title that was more exciting and would really get like the kids interested. And as you look through this list, you will see, and I'm wondering if it was either for marketing or to get around this video nasties list, a lot of these films have different titles. They have multiple titles. So for example, Bay of Blood was released as Twitch of the Death Nerve and Bloodbath. Blood Rights was also released as the Ghastly Ones. And then I think one of my favorite ones is Flesh for Frankenstein, which is this erotic Andy Warhol film, was released also as just Andy Warhol's Frankenstein. Right. (laughs) So it makes me want to think that some of these were just kind of put on this list based on what the title was. Because maybe the conservative guy who was like making this list, or maybe it was his week to start looking at these movies, like, I don't want to watch another cannibal Holocaust orgy movie. So he's just going down the list and he's just crossing off the names that are kind of like red flags. I wonder how much of that is actually in this list. I'd, I'd probably say a lot. I mean, you know, that title alone, Cannibal Holocaust, I mean, you can see that why that, that didn't pass censor. <laughs> you know, just those two words alone. And it's quite a savvy, savvy guy, you know, to to, to rename them yeah. and, and re-edit them. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is either if there's anything, any suspicion of the occult, the mystic or, yeah, and just, just the title alone. And the covers, I mean, if you look at some of the covers, they are quite, now you, you think, oh, they're just a footnote in history, but you couldn't see them at the time. You, you you wouldn't want to put it in front of a, a family, a conservative mm-hmm. family. Just some of the artwork is, is, you know, some of the artwork is great, but some of it is just a little bit. Um, I mean, I Spit on Your Grave was another one. And that, I remember at the time being quite a tough watch for me because it's, you know, the, the subject and the film itself is tough. Yeah, that's a very hard film. Like, I that one doesn't surprise me that it's on here. Funny enough, it was also released in several countries as Day of the Woman. That's a very ambiguous title, you know? So, like, you make a great point about artwork. If you saw the artwork, which if I remember correctly, it's like a woman, like her back profile, and she's bloody and beaten, and she's, like, in a very short pair of shorts. But if you just went by Day of the Woman off of, like, the newspaper of your local theater, like, oh, let's go see Day of the Woman, and you go there, yeah, maybe you won't get the experience you were expecting. So, So, yeah, there is a lot of... There's a lot of fuzziness to how I think these were picked, how they were marketed, because after this list goes live, you got to expect that there were filmmakers who were instantly figuring how to get around it. 
you know, if you look at the list, a lot of them, I mean, there's two or three that have got Cannibal. I mean, well, you've got Cannibal, Apocalypse, Cannibal, Ferox, Cannibal, Holocaust, The right. Cannibal Man. <laughs> so already there, they've probably made the life easy for the censor there. Right. That sounds like a marathon that don't eat before you see it or something. (laughs) And then when you look at a couple of the others, like I was seeing here, like Devil Hunter, again, the cover is very, it's, it's provocative because it's the woman she's tied up and there's, there's a hand with the, is it a scythe or, or, or or the big blade? And it's like, I just wonder, are are people, I mean, obviously I'm not saying these films are, are, are fun, fluffy films, but are they looking at it and saying, right well already that's offended me so we're not even going to watch it a hundred percent and you know there's like real classics on these lists that don't even like register in the zeitgeist today of being obscene one of them in particular is Mm. 1981's possession with sam neill and isabella ajani it is a horror film but it's also known as like an art film and a very highly praised piece of work. I mean, a lot of people think it was like a Polanski ripoff, which I kind of agree with, but I think it does it better. And it's one of my favorite movies and it is on this list and it did not get released uncut until 1999. And so I mean, Sam Neill, can you years. imagine saying Sam Neill's in a band film? <laughs> exactly. It's unbelievable to me. And then the other one was um, Dead and Buried by Dan O'Bannon. And that one is more obscure. Like, that is definitely like a cult film about like resurrecting the dead. It's one of those ocean town horrors, kind of like, um, I would say, like The Wicker Man. It's got some cult to it as well, some folk horror, seaside horror. But to see that on this list, I mean, there is violence and there are disturbing scenes, but nothing worse than I've seen in like a PG 13 movie these days. I, I was talking about this when I did The Sadist um, on the cult-worthy classic with Melissa from the Good Evening Kitties podcast. That film was made in 1963. There's no blood. That film was banned in the UK until 1999, and it was a 1963 black and white film. So my opinion was is someone put that on a list and then just forgot to take it off. Yeah, and if I if I recall rightly, I think there was a, a guy at the head of the the BBFC and I think it was when he left or stepped down I think that's then when there was a lot of changes came in then so it could be that he just clung on to to the fact that was his legacy maybe and then once he left that everything got re-reviewed so I can't remember exactly when he he, he left but it, it was probably around it would have been around the mid to, to late 90s so or, or, or early 2000s so it's 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 amazing what one person can can do what what power they can have you know so what do you think is like the long-standing effect of this list in terms of censorship in today's UK? Do you think that, let's say, the millennials or the Generation Zs of the UK these days even knew that this list existed? No, do you know what? I'm going to say no. I, I don't think they, they did. And, and and that's why it was going to be great to, to kind of... I would love to have quizzed Lou on this because I think the video the term kind of video nasties even though what you're saying is is quite amazing really that a lot of the films didn't get released fully till the end of the 90s early 2000s to me it kind of lost its its edge video nasties in probably the mid 90s mm-hmm. um we had a couple of tragic um events in the uk and i know child's play at the time was blamed mm-hmm. for one of them mm-hmm. and there's um you, you could check it out there's a, uh, a newspaper 
front cover where they they're burning the the, the image of Chucky. Um, and I think after that, though, once uh, I think as you said, once we then got the satellite TV, cable TV coming in, we got um, films in the cinema start pushing the boundaries a little more. I mean, I I think I remember seeing somewhere that the set of a film determined if it was video nicely so if it was in space like Alien couldn't have been banned because it was in space I mean I don't mm. know <laughs> how the logic there but I but I think no I think probably since the mid 90s we don't really talk about video nasties it was I think it was very much a thing and a term of its time used by a government and specific campaigners to yes. kind of try drill it into, well, pun not intended, drill it into parents of the time or, or conservative households. So no, I, I, I think now I don't think, I don't think people even think of censorship now. It's um, you know, if anything, we've got people calling out for the more violent versions of films, like the the superhero films. They want the the eighteen rated Wolverine, or they want the eighteen rated um, you, you know, films. It's it's it's, it's quite weird. I think how where, where we are now that. Yeah, I think kids of today, and I, you know, and and probably I say today, probably from, let's say from the year two thousand, two thousand ten, they won't know. I think censorship on a level that we know, it seems to really focus on rightly or wrongly, and it's a different subject. I know on mm-hmm. pornography, I think because of the internet. One of the other things is I also think over time, TV and films aimed at children has matured and evolved as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying, again, that they're watching violent films at a younger age, but I think kids' TV when I was a kid was very much kids' TV. And then you kind of graduate to more adult programs as you go older. Whereas now, you know, some of the films, some of the more violent films, you, you can get like a 12 or 13 age rating and, and they can get in to see them. And I think they're just more comfortable with it. Now, I'm going to take this conversation a little bit off track based off of a conversation I had with someone else on a different podcast. We see a lot of these films are made like in, they start being made in the early 70s is where we're starting to see some of these films that get banned. A Clockwork Orange was never banned, but it was highly discouraged because of how, you know, they they present violence and ultraviolence and stuff like that. So there were films that released here in the States during like the late sixties, early seventies. And we had this craze called the satanic panic. There was this whole thing about God is dead. We have all these occult films show up like the exorcist, Rosemary's baby race with the devil. I think that we start seeing things like this now where religion worldwide organized religion worldwide is starting to have like a tumble especially here in the states you know i live in a state that is um predominantly of the latter-day saint or the mormon faith Mm -hmm. and their numbers are just dwindling massively and i think a lot of that has to do with the technology and access to information where for so long we were just kind of like taught religion. We were taught values, whether they were conservative or whatnot, through religion. And as people now started having access to books, film, and in these days, blogs and you know videos and testimonials and YouTube things of people, how they left their religion or how they questioned the religion, and it's getting people to kind of have more open minds. I mean, it kind of coincides with the whole time frame that this list mm is in as well so maybe it's more than just like conservative views there usually is some kind of religious backing to conservative views but at the same time it's like maybe there's a little bit deeper meaning to it based on the films that are on this list and this whole idea of like 
the death of organized religion or like the crumbling of it. What, what do you think about that and how it applies to the UK? Yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I know I, I would say probably in the last 15 to 20 years, we have seen a decline in, in, in probably people's having religion as a strong belief. You know, it's, it's it, I think as the generations have, have gone on, yeah, I, I think that people aren't going out their way to, to... I think they've got faith, but I, I don't think it's as devout or as strong as it was, sort of, say, for my parents mm-hmm. um, or, or, or for people at the time. So I definitely think, you know, like I think the church over here is is losing people going there. And, and, I, and I think, you know, you, you see the stories every now and then that people are concerned that, that they're not going to church or they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to to kind of respective places uh, of worship i think I, th- I think you're probably right i, th- I think that it, it would be too much of a coincidence that these things are happening in parallel to not be linked or at least at least part of the formula you know yeah yeah so yeah i never really thought so, about that until like i start really looking at some of these titles and their content and you talking about the occult like there really is a strong yeah. parallel there it's really fascinating and i've never really thought of it that way when it comes to you know the term video nasties it's it's a great term it it's it looks good in newspapers it looks good yeah. in articles and it probably sounds good on the radio or whoever's talking about it on tv to the parents but like you were saying if you're a teenager there is no better <laughs> hot hot word hot button word to get your blood going than to hear a video nasty. Like, I like videos, and I like nasty stuff, so let me have it. And you're telling me it's banned as well? <laughs> oh, yeah. You're telling me it's banned? Yeah, where can I find this? And, yeah, like, and let's let's be honest. There are a lot of films on this list that probably aren't really good. I've seen more than I thought I did because now that I'm looking at the other release titles for them. But there are some that, I mean, like I said, that we're not talking about, like, quality we're talking about quantity over quality i think the size of the list and the names on the list were the probably the most important aspects of the conservative groups putting it together and and you know the other thing about it now obviously they were made uh what what now so 40 years ago so the the quality is going to be low but you said something and it triggered something that i thought when i was re-watching the evil dead that these did feel low budget low quality and i'm wondering if it kind of gave it a more that people may have thought it was real you know maybe that that there was an element there of i think modern you know now obviously i'm a lot older as well but i think modern horror is too shiny for a better word do do, do you know what i'm saying very produced whereas that it felt it was very much like kind of like the blair witch it was you know handheld camera in the woods kind of vibe I think that's why we had such a craze for that found footage horror craze of like the late and early 2000s because it made horror kind of scary and dirty and uncomfortable again and less stylish that takes you out of the horror. You know, nowadays I feel a lot of horror films just go for the jump scare because that's what people are waiting for. I would much rather watch a film that keeps me in a constant state of dread, you know, and I think... (laughs) The Exorcist does that perfectly. I'm not going to say the Evil Dead does because that also gets played for laughs. But yeah, Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the things about Cannibal Holocaust is that it was bootlegged so many times that as it gets grainier and dirtier and and the quality of the tape goes down, the more realistic it actually looks because you can't see the Hollywood production behind it or actually Italian production behind it. So. 
and and that's the other thing as well and and we didn't have the internet then so word of mouth by the time say the tape got to you the word of mouth made that film even more outrageous than it probably was you know and I I think that's what made you want to get it because it was like oh this film's got this in or and then the next person that does it oh my god it's even worse than that you know I wasn't ready for that and yeah and the word of mouth just spreads and and it becomes more than probably what the film originally was so as we kind of come to a close on this I got a question for you what would you say is like the modern day and let's say like maybe the last decade what would you say is like the modern day equivalent of this list in the UK is there something going on over there that's kind of like being either looked down upon or causing people hesitation or excitement if it's their thing is like is there kind of like some kind of attempt at censorship that's going on over there um not not really i think it is and like we said it's a different subject i think probably where it's more focused on over here is um is in pornography Mm -hmm. i think that's where people are trying to clamp down i think We've not really, or, or I've not really felt that there's a, there's ever been, in recent times, you've probably had, um, it was the Human Centipede and mm-hmm. um, the Hostel films. I think they're the only ones really that, at the time, I remember there was a bit of a, a panic in the press yeah. about those. Um, but no, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's anything at the moment that's, and, and video games probably, ironically. Yeah, you, video you, you games did have... With. They had they did have their day in the sun, nineties two thousands probably the last thirty years. There's always been like something to do with video games and violence for sure, but they never got put on a list or banned. You know they they try to rate them like movies, which kind of helped. But you're gonna go to Billy's house and play it anyway. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it just feels like there's gotta be a, a scapegoat for for society's ills. I think that's what mm-hmm. it is. It's 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 what can we blame now. And and I think at the moment, there just isn't anything obvious, I think. For me over here, I would say, and again, like not to get into like political aspects of it, but just you aren't seeing censorship so much of this kind of material nowadays as you are seeing like censorship or attempted censorship of like free thought and opinion, mostly with podcasts, you know, like 10 years ago, if you told me that Joe Rogan would be a dirty word or had some kind of like weight behind it, I would laugh at you because I'm like, no, he's the guy who's make people eat, you know, horse penises on TV, (laughs) you know? And I I think that's one of the things that I'm starting to see nowadays is like you have people who probably listen to Joe Rogan. I mean, I used to, I have opinions now, like an idea of there is weight behind people's words, especially when you have a platform that large. I, I find myself struggling with wanting to listen to people who I disagree with more than I agree with, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they don't have the right to say what they want to say. Cause we're podcasters. I feel that we do embrace that. I do think that we have the choice to either support or step back from whatever that information or content is. Yeah. And you're seeing almost on an equivalence with cancel culture. So instead of putting yeah. names yeah. of movies on a list, you're starting to put like public figures on a list because they said something bad on a TV show or in a stand-up routine. Again, it's completely subjective whether or not you agree with their opinion or you don't, or you're going to you know, swing swords for them or you're going to take a step back. But you can't deny that there are people who are trying to put names and shows, at least in a list, if it's not on paper, it's out there in in the world whether it's spoken on CNN or Fox News or BBC, 
you're hearing those names and you're hearing those words. So it may as well be the same as a list. Yeah, actually, no, you're, you're spot on, actually. Um, and it's something that I'd completely, yeah, kind of put out my mind. And, I, and, I, and I'm wondering whether the pandemic pandemic has helped foster that because we've all been at home. Everyone's more on social media now. <sighs> yeah, we are. And, and, you know, that's the thing. Something, somebody says something and it's the next trending thing on Twitter and everybody's on it. Mm-hmm. And it's, as you said, I think, as long as you realize that words have got power mm-hmm. and you know you're using them in the right way who's to say that what you're saying is wrong over what i'm saying exactly. it's 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 a difficult it's 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 a really tricky subject actually yeah yeah like and again that's just a connection that i kind of make now because like you really don't see lists like this anymore mm-hmm. but they're out there and it's because they're on twitter they're just spread out amongst the people of Twitter. So Dan, this has been a fascinating conversation and hopefully we can have a part two where we can like dive into these films some more. Um, and I can't wait to like cast views on your show when you guys have a fun topic. Definitely. No, no, we've already started thinking about, uh, yeah, the topic for you and yeah, absolutely for a part two. No, it's been, it's been really fun. I can't believe it's the time's gone already. I know. And we got to get Lou on the next one. Once his arm heals, you know, <laughs> tell him to stop doing jackass stunts. There's a disclaimer at the beginning of the movie don't reenact these stunts at home. You should have listened, but... Or at least film it so we can put it on, on as a trailer. <laughs> no kidding, right? I mean, we'd probably get more hits off of that than we get off our podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, again, fantastic talking to you. And there'll definitely be a part two on this because there's a lot more things we need to talk about. Yeah. Just give us a shout out of like all the different places we can find you or anything you want to plug before we, we say goodbye. Oh, thank you. Yeah, definitely catch us on Good Pods, uh, Spotify, uh, iTunes, pretty much most platforms. And if you can't find us on the one you want, let us know. Um, and yeah, you know, we absolutely would love people to get in touch with us if they if they've got uh, an idea for a subject. Yeah, so so, so do get us at, at Casting Views on Twitter, or yeah, at Casting Views Pod at Gmail dot com. That's right. So this is actually like part one of a two-part episode. I will be releasing a four-part review of some of the films we've talked about today on a future episode of the Cultworthy Podcast. You can find me on thecultworthy.com, Letterboxd, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Once again, my name is Antonio Palacios. I am here with Dan. Dan, say goodbye. Goodbye. And we will see you next week.